0: This Sunday, ballooning crisis.
1: If any object presents a threat to the safety and security of the American people, I will take it down.
0: President Biden says he doesn't want to damage relations with China after shooting down a Chinese spy balloon.
2: We're not looking for a new Cold War.
0: Secretary of State Antony Blinken meets with China's top diplomat for the first time since Blinken canceled his trip to Beijing. Can the U.S. and China find a way to deflate the tension? I'll ask the Secretary of State. Plus, critical moment.
3: There is no doubt these are crimes against humanity.
0: The U.S. accuses Russia of crimes against humanity as the war approaches the one-year
4: mark. I don't think the Ukrainians will just collapse or fold, I think they're going to continue to fight.
0: Will the U.S. and its allies be able to defeat Putin without putting any NATO or U.S. boots on the ground? We'll get a report from the front lines and primary fight.
5: America is not past our prime, it's just that our politicians are past theirs.
0: (laughs) Nikki Haley is the first Republican candidate to challenge Donald Trump, but she's not ready to actually criticize her former boss. The
5: problem is the media wants everybody to either be 100% Trump or 100% anti-Trump. I don't work that way.
0: Will Trump benefit from a growing field?
5: May the best woman win.
0: Yeah! I'll ask one potential candidate who's considering jumping in the race himself, former Maryland Governor Larry Hogan. Joining me for insight and analysis are NBC News Chief White House Correspondent Peter Alexander, Amna Navaz, co-anchor of PBS NewsHour, Tom Friedman, columnist for The New York Times, and Danielle Pletka of the American Enterprise Institute. Welcome to Sunday. It's Meet the Press.
2: From NBC News in Washington, the longest-running show in television history, this is Meet the Press with Chuck Todd.
0: Good Sunday morning. Fifteen days after the U.S. shot down a Chinese spy balloon and after a canceled diplomatic trip to Beijing, tensions with China have now escalated again to accusations that China may be supplying Russia or may supply Russia with lethal aid in its war against ukraine on thursday the president did try to turn the temperature down a bit with china acknowledging that the three unidentified objects shot down over lake huron alaska and canada were not tied to china but were likely simply research balloons
1: we seek competition not conflict with china we're not looking for a new cold war i expect to be speaking with president xi And I hope we have we are going to get to the bottom of this. But I make no apologies for taking down
2: that balloon.
0: China's top foreign policy official responded on Saturday in his visit to Munich. He told the gathering of world leaders that the U.S. response was a strategic misjudgment. He also called it absurd and hysterical. And he warned the Cold War mentality is back. Well, Secretary of State Tony Blinken met with Wang Li uh, late on Saturday The first time since the U.S. shot down the spy balloon. I spoke with Secretary Blinken after the meeting. I'm going to bring you that interview in just a moment. The war in Ukraine is dominating the conversation at the Munich Security Conference, more so than the balloon, if you will. The U.S. is worried that China may view a lack of resolve on Ukraine. As a potential sign of weakness, as it's uh, eyes Taiwan reunification over the next several years. On Saturday, Vice President Harris used Munich as the backdrop to announce that the U.S. has formally determined that Russia is committing war crimes in Ukraine.
3: Gruesome acts of murder, torture, rape, and deportation. We have examined the evidence. We know the legal standards, and there is no doubt these are crimes against humanity."
0: This week, President Biden will be returning to the region, Poland specifically, where he spoke just weeks after the Russian invasion nearly a year ago. And he's going to go there to renew the promise to, quote, stand with Ukraine as long as it takes. But privately, Administration officials have warned Ukrainian officials that there is a limit to the patience of the American public and the Western alliance. Ukraine is asking for dozens of F-16 fighter jets. And addressing the Munich conference himself on Friday, Ukrainian President Zelensky warned of fatigue.
5: We need to hurry up. We need the speed, speed of our agreements, speed of our delivery to strengthen our sling, speed of decisions to limit russian potential
0: nbc news chief foreign correspondent richard engel is in kramatorsk which is in eastern ukraine where a new russian offensive is underway and richard you and i were talking earlier you said there's we russia is now engaging in a second war if you will a brand new war plan because the first one didn't work on this one year anniversary
6: So one year on, Russia's starting over again, effectively. Putin tried to invade this country a year ago. Uh, Many said he was suffering from hubris. He wasn't listening to some advisors or was being misadvised. He thought he could take Ukraine quickly, easily topple the capital. Soldiers were bringing dress uniforms with them. They brought policing gear uh, in order to manage the population. They didn't really think that the, the Ukrainian people would rise up and defend this country. It didn't work, and now a year on, he's starting a totally new war, a new strategy, back to the basics, and instead of having his troops spread out all over the country, where they have supply chain issues, logistics issues, now it's primarily focused near the Russian border, out here in the east, a very slow, destructive campaign, moving the front line or trying to move the front line uh, forward into Ukrainian right. territory. But already, and we're about a, a week into this offensive, we're not seeing tremendous advances from the, from the Russian side. So it seems like it's going to be a very, very slow campaign.
0: And, and Richard, what does that mean for the Ukrainian strategy here in this war? Because if the Russian goal now is to essentially buy time, run out the clock, maybe run out the clock of support here in the United States or in Western Europe, how does Ukraine counter that?
6: well it's a problem because russia's also depleting ammunition in this country uh this uh, ukraine is running out of air defenses it's running out of tank rounds so it with this slow destructive strategy that uh putin is trying right now uh he hopes that not only will western support dry up over time but that the Ukrainians eventually will lose the ability to maintain this fight and to sustain this fight. So, in a sense, if he's willing to lose a lot of troops, and by many accounts, Russia's losing more troops now than at any stage since this conflict began, if Russia's willing to lose that many troops over time, uh, the Ukrainians will be dangerously low on on both anti-aircraft and regular munitions.
0: Richard Engel getting us started uh, on the ground force in eastern Ukraine. Richard, thank you. Turning now to my interview with Secretary of State Tony Blinken. I spoke with Secretary Blinken on Saturday evening, directly after his meeting with China's top diplomat, and I asked him about the growing tensions between the two countries. I know you just got out of a meeting that in diplomatic terms is called On the Margins with your counterpart, Wang Li, of China. Uh, I have read the readout we have stated about what you said to him. I guess what I'm more concerned about is what did he say to you? Number one, did it begin with an apology mm-hmm. for the balloon?
7: Chuck, I don't want to characterize what, what he said. I don't think that would be appropriate, uh, although I can tell you, no, there was no apology. Uh, but what I can also tell you is this was an opportunity to speak very clearly and very directly about the fact that China sent a surveillance balloon. Uh, over our territory, violating our sovereignty, violating uh, international law and I told him quite simply that that was unacceptable and can never happen again. Uh, We're of course not the only ones on the receiving end of these surveillance balloons. More than 40 countries uh, have had these balloons fly over them uh, in recent years uh, and that's been exposed to the world. I also had uh, an opportunity, because we're here in Munich, uh, as you know focused primarily on Russia's ongoing aggression against Ukraine uh to share our uh very real concerns about China's support for Russia in that uh, in that war and uh, what we've seen in um over the past years is of course uh some political and rhetorical support um even some non-lethal support but we are very concerned that China is considering providing lethal support to Russia in its aggression against Ukraine uh, and i made clear that that would have uh, serious consequences uh in our relationship as well, something that President Biden has shared directly with President Xi on several occasions. Uh, finally, um, I underscore the importance of having direct lines of communication, the importance of continuing to engage in diplomacy between our countries. I think uh, this is something that the world expects of us. They expect us to manage this relationship responsibly. Uh, and so it was important that we had that opportunity this evening here in Munich.
0: Uh, I want to start with what I think is... Um uh, the, the the newer piece of information that you're sharing, and I know that we've been reporting separately, this concern that China is considering lethal potential lethal aid in this war to Russia. What evidence can you share with us uh, that indicates your concern that they're going to escalate their help to Russia? As you said, they've been helping them rhetorically. Uh, they've been helping them maybe by buying cheap oil. Um, but what is the other evidence that you have here that they're thinking about doing more?
7: Well, Chuck... China's having trying to have it both ways um, publicly they present themselves uh, as a country striving for for peace in Ukraine uh, but privately as I said we've seen uh, already um, over these these past months uh, the provision of non-lethal assistance that does go directly to uh, aiding and abetting Russia's war effort and uh, some further information that we are sharing uh, uh, today and that I think uh, will be out there soon that um, indicates that they are strongly considering providing lethal assistance to, to Russia. Um, to the best of our knowledge, they what haven't form? crossed that what line yet. What form is that? But, as uh, we're sharing... Yeah, in what form? Um, Chuck, I, I, uh, Chuck, I don't want to get into the, the details in this, um, uh, in, this, in this moment, but there are various kinds of lethal assistance that they are at least contemplating providing to include weapons.
0: What uh, what else would you describe as lethal assistance that wasn't weapons?
7: Again, uh, I'll let uh, I'll let the information that we have uh, and that we're sharing speak for itself. Uh, But the main concern is material support to Russia's war effort that would have a lethal effect.
0: The material support, I understand you want to let it speak for itself. Can you give me a little bit more here? I mean, that's a huge charge. I mean, that is an escalate. We're at another level of escalation here. If, if our two biggest rivals are now in
7: cahoots in a war, essentially against the West? Chuck, what I want to stress is this. We see China considering this. Uh, We've not seen them cross that line. So I think it's important that um, we make clear, as I did this evening in my meeting with uh, mm-hmm. Wang Yi, uh, that this is something that is of deep concern to us. And uh, I made clear the importance of not crossing that line and the fact that it would have serious consequences in our own relationship. Uh, something that uh, we do not need uh, on top of the balloon incident uh, that uh, China's engaged in. What kind of
0: consequences are you talking about? What, what did you share with him?
7: Look, I'm not, I'm not going to get into that, but I can again tell you that this is something that President Biden has raised directly with President Xi. And if, you, if, if he's raised it directly with President
0: Xi, so this is not new, this warning here, it looks like so far they've not heeded the warnings?
7: No, again, this is something that President Biden has shared with President Xi, almost going back to day one of the Russian aggression against Ukraine. They spoke, I think, two or three weeks into the Russian aggression, back uh, uh, last March. And at that time, in that very first conversation after the Russian aggression, President Biden said to him, it's going to be very important going forward that uh, you not provide uh, any uh, direct military support to Russia uh, for this uh, war in Ukraine, uh, as well as uh, engaging in any systematic efforts to evade the sanctions that we've imposed on individuals and companies who are aiding the uh, the war effort uh, in, uh, in Ukraine by Russia. So this is something that we've been concerned about from day one, because you remember, Chuck, that just before the Russian uh, aggression, uh, President Xi and President uh, Putin got together and talked about a partnership with No Limits. In that context, one of the concerns we had was No Limits might include... Right providing lethal support to Russia in the war. So this is something we've been watching from day one. And the reason that we're uh, sharing further information now is we are concerned that this is something that China was not doing for many, many months, but may be considering doing now. And have we shared all this evidence with our allies? Uh, we, we, We are in the process of doing that.
0: Let me move a little bit more to the balloon incident itself. The director of national intelligence, Avril Haines, had this to say about the balloon earlier this week when asked, how should we think about this? Anything you can say about it? And she sort of started off, she goes, you know, I know it's crazy. It's really like an episode of Veep, you know, on some level. Um, and clearly the other three objects. Is it fair to say that in hindsight, we overreacted on the shoot down of the other three objects? Uh,
7: no, Chuck, I think. And the president spoke to this himself uh, just, uh, just the other day. Uh, with regard to Uh, The surveillance balloon from China itself, Uh, as you know, uh, we spotted it. We took action to protect sensitive information on the ground that it was attempting to surveil. We got information from the balloon itself as it traversed the United States. And when it was safe to do so, in terms of not posing a danger to to people on the ground, uh, we shot it down. And now we're in the process of recovering what remains of the balloon to learn more uh, about the technology that it had on board. What happened after that uh, was we recalibrated uh, our radars because this balloon program, based on information we have now, has been going on for some time. Um, in years past, we weren't necessarily looking uh, right. at the, the space in which this was happening. We recalibrated the radars and, as a result, we saw more things that we weren't seeing in, um, in the past. And among those things were these three objects that were, uh, that were shot down that, unlike the Chinese surveillance balloon, were flying lower and posed a threat to commercial aviation. And so one of the reasons, uh, main reason that the president ordered that action be taken was to make sure that there was no threat to commercial aviation. Now, I think one of the things that, that comes out of this more broadly is this is, this has been in many ways unregulated airspace and subspace. And we need to do much more, I think, to make sure that we and countries around the world have a better idea of what's up, when, and where uh, in order to um, make sure that um, we can proceed safely, uh, securely, and not have objects that pose a threat to our people uh, or to our country, but at the same time yeah. uh, making sure that things that are there and proceeding uh, with peaceful purpose uh, can do so as long as they don't pose a threat to aviation. Do we still believe that the balloon...
0: Uh the surveillance balloon over the continental United States was an intentional act? Or do you believe that part of it was an accident?
7: Well, Chuck, what I can tell you is this. Uh, What is is clear is that once the balloon was over the United States and flying basically west to east, it attempted to surveil very sensitive military sites. Um, In some cases, it loitered uh, or returned to them as it progressed east. So there is no doubt in our minds at all that, A, this was a surveillance balloon, and B, it was attempting to engage in active surveillance.
0: I want to go back to your readout with uh, your, your Chinese counterpart. The other thing you said in there is you reemphasized the issue that we don't want to have a Cold War with China. But what else do you describe uh, our relationship with them we're expanding our military presence in Guam. We're expanding our military presence in the Philippines. We're expanding our military presence in Australia. We're helping Japan uh, essentially change its national security posture. We continue to arm Taiwan uh, and send weapons there. If it's not a
7: Cold War, what is it? Chuck, this is obviously among the most consequential but also complex relationships that we have. And probably the same can be said for many other countries around the world. And of course, we're in a vigorous competition with China. And that's something we're not at all shy about. We intend to compete very vigorously. And we've um, taken important steps over the last couple of years to invest in ourselves so that we compete effectively, but also to align with allies and partners around the world so that we have a shared approach to some of the challenges that, uh, that China poses. And as we're doing that, um uh, we have a strong interest in trying to manage the relationship responsibly uh, and to make sure, to the best of our ability, that competition doesn't veer into conflict or into Cold War. I don't think that's in our interest. And also, it's important to note that there are some very big issues out there that are affecting all of our citizens and affecting people around the world, uh, where, if we can, it would be in our interest to find ways to cooperate uh, on climate, on mm-hmm. global health, on the macroeconomic situation around the world. And we have a responsibility to at least try to do that. So that's why I say you can't reduce this to a bumper sticker or to a label. It's complicated. It's consequential, and we need to manage it responsibly.
0: Yeah, complicated sounds like a pretty good uh, description. The complicated uh, relationship, which I think people <laughs> on social media could uh, understand. I want to also quickly ask: Did you uh, reschedule a meeting? Uh, reschedule your visit to Beijing? Did this meeting do that, or is that does President Biden need to speak with uh, President Xi first?
7: No, we didn't talk about that tonight. Uh, we really focused on the on the balloon incident. Uh, we focused on some other areas of concern that that we have, and as I, I noted, the main one, which is the uh, mm-hmm. uh, concerns about Chinese support for Russia and its war of aggression against Ukraine. We also uh, talked about the most recent North Korean missile launch uh, and our view that uh, China, given the relationship it has with North Korea, uh, should try to use its influence to curb these kind of actions coming from North Korea.
0: Uh, I know we don't have a lot of time and I obviously had a ton of questions on the war in Ukraine. But let me ask uh, uh, this one, which is I had Robert Gates on here a couple weeks ago and he thought the only the only real red line for Putin was Crimea. Uh, are we ready to if you if the if President Zelensky wants to retake Crimea, are we going to be there to support him on that? Or is that something we've told him? Why don't you focus on everything else first?
7: Chuck, at every step along the way, uh, we've said that fundamentally these questions about Ukraine, about its future, uh, belong to, um, to the Ukrainians. Uh, these are their decisions. And we're determined to support them in their efforts to uphold their territorial integrity, their independence, uh, their sovereignty. Uh, but I don't want to speculate about the future. What, what I can tell you is this. It's really important whatever happens in terms of our own interests that there be uh, a just and durable peace. And by that I mean this, just because if we have a peace that, in, that somehow ratifies the seizure of land by force, that uh, risks opening a Pandora's box around the world where other would-be aggressors conclude they can do what Russia did and get away with it. Durable uh, in that what we don't want um, in terms of our own interests, uh, and certainly in terms of Ukraine's, is uh, to arrive at a place where um, we leave things so that it's likely that Russia simply repeats right. the exercise a year, two years, five years later. So broadly, uh, I think that's what uh, we're aiming at, uh-huh. and certainly what Ukraine is aiming at. But in terms of the the specific contours of yeah. where uh, where we can achieve peace, these are fundamentally Ukraine's decisions.
0: And finally, SpaceX, which is owned by Elon Musk, has been providing Starlink capabilities to, to help Ukraine. Uh, but apparently they've restricted some access where Ukraine can't use it uh, for some military purposes. Given that SpaceX is a U.S. military contractor in some things, uh, have we asked Elon Musk to change his policy there and essentially be on the side of Ukraine, not to quote, unquote, be neutral here?
7: Well, um, I can't share any conversations we've had other than to say we've had conversations.
0: Well, I think that answer tells us something uh, uh, to read between the lines on that. Anyway, Secretary Antony Blinken, really appreciate you uh, coming on and sharing the administration's perspective. Good luck. uh, And I hope you get some rest. Thanks a lot, Chuck. All right. Great to be with you. Thank you. When we come back, is domestic political pressure on China leading the Biden administration to overreact? Panel is next. Welcome back. The panelists is here. Uh, NBC News Chief White House Correspondent Peter Alexander, also co-anchor of Weekend Today. Amna Nawaz, the co-anchor uh, for PBS NewsHour. New York Times columnist Tom Friedman. And Danielle Pletka, the senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. I have a really good group here to talk China and Ukraine. Tom, let me start with you. Uh, I, I, this feels like we are at a moment we've never been with with China, are we?
1: I I think so, Chuck, because if you go back to the start of the war, um, President Biden spoke with President Xi, and Jake Sullivan spoke with uh, his Chinese counterparts. They made one major point. You will not intervene militarily in this war on Russia's side. And if you do, it will affect your two largest export markets, the European Union and the United States of America. The fact that a year later, China is considering that, according to the administration, I find harrowing because that really... Do you find it believable? Why would
0: China do this?
1: Um, well, it's interesting. I think China, first of all, they would like the war prolonged because it keeps us tied down and we're burning through all our, our weaponry and all our uh, military stocks. I think also they, um, they like a weak Russia uh, that's forced to be economically dependent on them, but they don't want a collapsed Russia. That's a very bad signal for Taiwan. That if the West could take Russia down, mm-hmm. um, so I think the Chinese are w- might be concerned about that. But I think you cannot underestimate, you cannot exaggerate how important it would be if China did that. Then this becomes a true world war. It affects every global market, right. and um, we're in a completely new world. What would be our consequence to them? He wouldn't say what the consequences are, Danny, What should they be if so
4: China intervenes?
2: We still have an extraordinarily robust trading relationship with China. They are unbelievably dependent on exports, both to the United States and to the European Union. So they would be testing our resolve. right? Right now, we limit certain things that are coming from China. We are trying very casually to decouple our economy from the Chinese economy, but we haven't done it in any effective way. So they would be testing our willingness to take a lot of pain in order to punish them. It's 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 a very weird call.
0: I'm trying to figure out where we are here, Peter, because you had this interview with uh, the president after he did this speech that was trying to tone things down. And in in, in some ways, it matched the rhetoric we heard from—I want to play something from Avril Haines. I referenced it in the interview, but I'm going to play this comment from Avril Haines and how she talked about the balloon incident late last week uh, at an interview in Columbia University. Take a listen.
6: How should we think about this? How— She can, whatever you can
3: say about the balloon, please. (laughs) I know, it's so crazy. It's really like an episode of Veep, you know, on some level, like I'm just like.
0: So here's our director of national intelligence, sort of almost like dismissive of how things went. The president's trying to ratchet things up, and then all of a sudden, 48 hours later we're on the brink of a world war.
8: Well, that's what's most striking to me. The conversation I had with the president on Thursday, he said, I think the last thing she wants is to fundamentally rip up the relationship with the United States. And with me, he was saying that these conversations need to continue. Direct communication is critical. And then you hear what appears to be a very different strategy from Antony Blinken speaking to you just moments ago, where he effectively, you know, is dialing things up. It appears that it would appear that the relationship is escalating. And the point that he wouldn't get to that you try to pin him down on is what is that that new evidence that China is trying to provide lethal aid to Russia right now. Notable that he won't say it because you remember when this war began in Ukraine, the U.S. Andy Blinken was very quick to say that there was now declassified information showing that Russia was going to invade. They were right on. So why not call them out with the evidence as it exists here? No one could identify what that evidence is. They just said to me, for China, nothing is off the table, is their view.
0: I'm not. It does feel like there is a bit of do they want to dial things down, or do they, or or not?
9: I mean, to to Peter's point, I I want to see what that intelligence is. I want to know what the evidence is to back up those claims because Secretary Blinken was not the only one to make that ass- ass- assessment. We had Vice President Harris in her speech at Munich, mimicking that same language, warning China not to provide that lethal aid. So I'm curious what's driving that more uh, overt public stance Mm -hmm. right now. But we know that the U.S. officials have been concerned about ongoing tacit and some tactical support China's been providing to Russia since the beginning of the war. To Tom's point, they made that warning early Mm -hmm. and very clear and publicly. A lot of that has been economic until now. We know in the last year, China's economic trade with Russia has only deepened. And that means imports have Mm -hmm. increased, what, some 40 percent from Russia exports over some 10 percent. Even though they imported less crude oil overall, China last year, they Mm -hmm. imported more from Russia this unit of some $60 billion. I mean, that undermines the Western effort as well to mitigate their oil revenues and also further fuels the war in Ukraine. Let me
0: shift the conversation to the larger question, Tom, which is, is is our domestic politics actually going to ratchet up tensions a little bit here with China? Look, you've been chronicling the rise of China, arguably, for all of us to watch for, for, for 30 years in some ways. Um, did we get it wrong? Did we get the the entire idea of what we were trying to do with China, thinking economic security for China will bring security to the
1: globe. Um, you know, I think that chapter is not finally written, Chuck. Um, what we've seen in China since 1979 to today mm-hmm. is um, the originally that China came out and said, we're going to open ourselves to the world. We're going to engage with the world. Um, and we're not going to be a military threat to the world. You know, uh, and that kind of worked for them. Um, they brought 800 million people out of poverty faster than any time in the, in world history. Mm-hmm. And we had no great power war during that period. That starts to change. Um, uh, you know, 2006, 2010, first under Hu and then under Xi. Suddenly you get a much more aggressive China, mm-hmm. um, uh, in the South Asian Sea. You get, um, uh, a China that's much more, more difficult at home, takes over Hong Kong, does these things. And I would say to them, How's that working for you? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you grew at 3% last year, like half your, um, uh, you've triggered now, um, a a global ban, basically, on semiconductors, which are the, the oil of the 21st century. Um, China's basically saying, oh, we'll deal with that. We'll, we'll, we'll push back our own. Really, I say, that's like telling me the Chinese national basketball Mm -hmm. team is going to play the global superstars in basketball on semiconductors forever. So I really wonder where they're going with this.
0: All right. I'm going to leave the conversation there. Up next, Nikki Haley was the first Republican to take on Donald Trump this week. Will Trump benefit from a growing field? The former governor of Maryland, Larry Hogan, who's mulling his own bid, joins me next. Welcome back. Nikki Haley formally launched her presidential bid on Wednesday in South Carolina, making only one reference to her former boss, Donald Trump, but saying not so subtly, it's time for the party to move on.
5: I have a particular message for my fellow Republicans. We've lost the popular vote in 7 of the last 8 presidential elections. Well, that ends today.
0: Former President Trump wasted no time in attacking Haley, trying to tie her to Hillary Clinton and Paul Ryan. Early polling shows the Republican race starts with two clear frontrunners, Donald Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Trump leads in one recent poll 4623 in a wide field but when it narrows down to just two candidates Trump and DeSantis Trump's lead narrows dramatically so how large will the 2024 Republican field be all depends on what potential candidates like my guest right now former Republican governor of Maryland Larry Hogan and what he does governor Hogan welcome back to Meet the Press good morning so usually I reserve these questions for the end but I'll ask it up, up front here uh have you made a decision
4: I haven't. Okay. Uh, look, I, I said I'm going to take a pretty serious look at this. And I'm, I'm traveling around the country just trying to get a feel for what Republican voters want, uh, to, what Americans are looking for. And uh, we're going to make a decision in a relatively short period of time. I, it's, I'm interested in on the re, what
0: Republican voters want. Um, right now, if you watch the other, your potential rivals, it does seem there's only one issue that seems to be unifying on the base. And it's sort of these culture wars and education. Here's a sampling.
7: Go read books
0: like Gender Queer and see what's in there. Uh, it's inappropriate. So we've armed
7: parents the ability to to object to that and to make sure that they're having education and, and not indoctrination.
4: Across the country, parents' rights are being trampled by politically correct nanny state that's ruining our schools and telling parents that they have no role in their children's
5: most important decisions. There was all this talk about the Florida bill, the don't say gay bill. Basically, what it said was you shouldn't be able to talk about gender before third grade. I'm sorry. I don't think that goes far enough. My
0: question to you is not whether this is a legitimate issue to be talking about. It's about whether this is
4: the main issue or not. Do you view this as the main issue for 2024? No, I think it's an important issue, and I do hear it, and people are concerned about this as I travel around the country, because, you know, the, most people just don't think we should be talking about, you know, things like sex to young <laughs> kids, and that parents want to be more involved in this decisions about what their kids are being taught. However, uh, you know, I think some of this rhetoric is, uh, you know, it, some, you know d- demanding that things be done a certain way, or that you can't say this, or you can't say that. We've got to be really careful I know, about it. Does it
0: feel like you're going the other way? Like, it, yeah. it's sort of like you're, on one hand... If Governor DeSantis claiming, hey, I don't want all of this, but I'm going to tell you exactly what you can say, and I'm going to tell you what you can't say.
4: Well, I'm a small government, you know, common sense conservative. And to me, it sounds like big government and uh, authoritarian. Uh, you, you have to agree with me, and I'm going to tell you what you can and can't do. So, But it's an issue. It's not the most important issue. I think more people are concerned about the economy, mm-hmm. inflation. They're concerned about uh, crime. Right. Uh, but education is one of the things that we've got to talk about.
0: I guess the question, the larger question I have for you, and I feel like you really Really are sort of an old school Reagan Republican. There were three legs okay. to the stool: strong on national security, low government, low taxes, right? Small exactly. government, so low taxes, uh, and and uh, and the culture issues. And it seems right now it's only the culture issues that unites the party.
4: That the party is actually divided on the other two issues. Do you agree with that? Well, I, I agree, uh, and that's you know I've been talking out about the important issues for a long time, and yeah, I'm a was a Republican governor in the bluest state in America and got things done mm-hmm. uh, working across the aisle with Democrats, I can tell you it's not what everyone's talking about. But I think some people are making the calculation that base primary voters uh, in the Trump lane, that's what they want to hear about. And so a lot of candidates are focusing on that. But it's you can't dismiss it, but I don't think it should be the only thing we're talking about.
0: Uh, If you do run, uh, the RNC is trying to get people to pledge. If they want to participate in their debates, their sanctioned debates, you have to pledge to support the nominee no matter who it is. You had an interesting exchange with Hugh Hewitt, and I don't know where you stand on this. Where do you stand on this?
4: Well, I think it's kind of silly because uh, it's not going to happen. We we already know uh, President Trump has said numerous times he he refuses to So if he com- refuses why should you right <laughs> Well I mean if they say you're not going to be on the debate stage if you won't commit to support the nominee then president Trump won't be on the debate stage and I don't think anybody believes that that's going to happen uh but look I, I think uh I think uh, you know I'm a lifelong republican uh, mm-hmm. who wants to support the nominee of the party whoever that is however you know I've said before I didn't support Trump I wouldn't support Trump mm-hmm. I you know I I'd put the country ahead of party and not put somebody in that uh, that is not should not be the president.
0: If you thought your candidacy was going to contribute to the to
4: inadvertently helping Donald Trump, would that be a reason not to run? That'd be a pretty good reason to consider not running. Absolutely. I mean, I uh, I care much more. Uh, I don't care that much about my future in the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. I care about making sure we have a future for the Republican Party. And if it if we can stop uh, Donald Trump and elect a great uh, Republican common sense conservative mm-hmm. leader, Um, Certainly that would be a factor. Uh, I'm curious, in a court filing this week, Dominion
0: Voting released a lot of internal communications inside of Fox News. Uh, However people want to classify Fox News, I'm going to use the description of conservative town square. It is the town square for conservatives. Are you concerned that we now have evidence that essentially the the moderators of this town square refused to tell the truth to their viewers because they were afraid of offending them?
4: Look, I am concerned about it and uh, I don't know all the details of it. We're just seeing some of these facts come forward with the uh, with this Dominion case. Uh, but I think I'm, I've been concerned for a long time as I talked to conservative leaders who agreed with what I was saying. I, you know, I was pretty out there, you know, pretty direct answering some of these questions about January 6th, about right. the, the the election wasn't stolen and uh Many of them would say it privately, but then they would go out and say almost the complete opposite. And it sounds like that's what some of the hosts on Fox News did. Uh, and and, now, and, and, but, I'm and look that now more people are starting to you know, say exactly what they believe.
0: But Governor, I mean, you look at it, this Michigan Republican Party just not elected an election deniers party chair. The Kansas yeah. Republican Party. It feels like the conservative town square is lying to the base. And this is what
1: happened.
4: Well, there's no question there's a lot of misinformation out there. And I am concerned about uh, some of the parties and people are taking over that are believing conspiracy theories. And I think we've got to get back uh, to a more a bigger tent mm-hmm. party that can appeal to more people. Otherwise, we're going to keep losing elections.
0: Um, what is your timeline? Is it spring? Is it the end of spring? Is it yeah, the end of I think
4: it's uh, you know, uh, sometime this spring, I think, is when you'd have to really get ramped up. I mean, we started a federal pact at the end of the year. We've been you know, working around the country now for a couple of years. But I think you've got to start raising hard dollars and be really in the race committed in the next couple of months. Do you think you, the fact that you were successful in the blue state makes it actually harder for you to get a Republican nomination? You know, I've got strong support among Republicans, Democrats and independents. And I left, you know, as one of the uh, one of the most successful governors in America. And I, I'm the but only Maryland governor Maryland,
0: independents and Democrats don't vote in a Republican primary for president in Iowa.
4: Yeah. Well, happen? I mean, I, I got the same vote Trump did in the Republican primary and uh, ran 45 points ahead of him in a general. Well, there you go. Larry Hogan, uh, good to
0: see you. Thanks for coming in. Thank Thanks to you. Share try. your perspective. When we come back, artificial intelligence is creating a lot of anxiety about its powers. We're going to download the data and let you decide how worried you should be next. Welcome back data download time technology is constantly transforming our lives it garners both excitement and skepticism and the recent boom in artificial intelligence is now no exception so let's start with why we've been hearing so much about AI lately is due to one thing the arrival of something called chat GPT launched late last year if you've logged on to it you're not alone a hundred million monthly users already making it the fastest growing consumer application in history now If you're thinking this is the first time AI's been in your life, you're wrong. And most people don't realize it. Just 30% recently told a Pew survey correctly were able to identify places where AI is a part of their lives. Your fitness tracker, that's AI-powered. The music recommendations you get on your various playlists, guess what? AI-powered. Spam filters, you get it. Product recommendations, it's already a big part of our lives. And guess what? This time, unlike social media, which we are almost universally excited about, with AI, eh, not so much. We're a bit more concerned than excited, as you can see here. Uh, And perhaps it has to do with the word artificial. Are we ever excited about anything that starts with the word artificial? This week, Senator John Fetterman's disclosure that he is undergoing treatment for clinical depression signaled a new openness around mental health issues in our country. Back in 1972, Missouri Senator Thomas Eagleton was removed as George McGovern's running mate after he revealed he had been treated for depression. Here's our Senator McGovern's wife, Eleanor, described the moment on our broadcast 51 years ago.
3: I remember that first morning when Senator and Mrs. Eagleton were in South Dakota with us, how our our hearts and our minds and all of us just reached out to this man who was going through such a traumatic experience in, in revealing to the American public his uh, his history of, of trouble. This makes me so furious when people say, well your husband your husband dumped Sen- Senator Eagleton. There was no possible way for him to do that. But it was a story of, of such human drama that no one who was there, who was not there, could even be in a position to judge uh, my husband or Senator Eagleton. But I do say that they both made the decision not for themselves, not for Senator McGovern. He knew it would hurt, not for T- Tom Eagleton, but for the American people, for all of you out there.
0: In some ways, we've come a long way on talking about mental health. The question is, have we come far enough? When we come back, Nikki Haley may have more than just Donald Trump to contend with to get the nomination. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is already the co front runner, even before he's announced. Welcome back. Well, we had a presidential launch this week, Amna. And um, what I thought was interesting about it is that Nikki Haley got major candidate treatment. Yeah. And I think that's that's a big deal. Now, the one thing that surprised me a little bit is uh, her decision not to take on Trump.
9: Well, she got that treatment because she's the first to announce. She's mm-hmm. the first to challenge former President Trump. I like yeah. to be clear about that. And that's a longer runway. For people to kind of take take a look at her. But Nikki Haley always had that complicated relationship with Donald Trump, right, where she was anti-Trump and then she worked with him. And now since she's left and even since she's launched her election campaign, she's not anti-Trump. She's mm-hmm. occupying an entirely different lane altogether because that culture warrior superhighway, that is full. They've got two trucks, the DeSantis truck and the Trump truck, right. rolling down that. She's in a parallel lane. She's sort of—, uh, she sort of Anti Trump without saying so and not into the culture warrior stuff, but also really not differentiating herself when it comes to policy. There's a lane there. There's enough Republicans who say in recent polls, more than half of them, I said, say they don't want to vote for former Mm -hmm. President Trump. That's who she's trying to appeal to.
0: You know, Peter, uh, the race has been heating up. I want to put up a map just in the next week. We're going to have a lot of presidential candidates around the country here doing some fundraising stuff Ron DeSantis goes to chicago suburbs of chicago tomorrow talk to a law enforcement group but probably also to talk to some donors yeah i mean things are starting to heat up tim scott uh, uh headed to iowa as well Two South Carolinians. Right. I
8: I actually think that Nikki Haley leaned more into the culture war stuff than I thought she would in the course of the opening week. She didn't distinguish herself from Donald Trump. That's what she's going to need to do as a challenge. But speaking to some of her allies and having been on the trail in recent weeks, I'll tell you what a grassroots leader in South Carolina said. And this is why perhaps they think she doesn't have to go after Trump specifically, is that. The Republicans in her state, they said like 90 percent of what Donald Trump did, but hated 90 percent of what Donald Trump said. So perhaps it's safe mm. not to change anything in terms of policy. Mm. And she didn't show any contrast when she spoke to Sean
0: Hannity this week, but just to be a different mm. representative of the party. And I thought it was interesting that Governor Hogan admitted that if he thought his candidacy would contribute to the nomination of Donald Trump, that it would be a reason not to run.
2: Yeah, that was a very gentlemanly thing to say. You don't see a lot of that no. in politics. On the other hand, uh, gentlemen tend not to finish first in politics. I, I, I think, I think what's, what's interesting about all of this is that you're gonna see a battle for the soul of the Republican Party in this primary. At least I, I hope. I really hope so. What Will you? The, well, so this is this. So uh, you know, there's yeah. a reason I'm sitting here. I'm a foreign policy nerd, right. right? We were talking about foreign policy. There actually is a post-Trump split in the party now yeah. with the isolationists. You know, a lot of the Republicans, the sort of yeah. Tucker Carlson wing of the party, J.D. Vance, those guys who are not interested in supporting Ukraine, who are not interested in us having a stronger military, who want to cut defense spending. Nikki Haley is of the old Reagan school on right. that, so she's solid on the culture stuff. She's solid on the society. She's good on the economics, but she's also good on foreign policy. I want to see that fight happen inside the party.
0: I guess the question, Tom, is did the fight happen in 16 and Trump won?
1: Yeah. I mean, to some extent, one of the things that just in reading up about Nikki Haley, that really struck me, Chuck, and I'm like, Danny, I'm not a... Um, no, you guys are... Guy. Being, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, but what really struck me is that, um, you know, she was against Trump originally, um, in fact, uh, said we shouldn't have a president who couldn't denounce the KKK. Then he was she was for Trump and served in his administration. Then after January 6th, she was against Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, then she was for Trump, as she thought of running again. Then she was kind of against Trump um, uh, uh, in, in these uh, in these coming out interviews. Um, she describes herself as tough as nails, but in her opening uh, bid, uh, Dan Balz pointed this out in the Washington Post today, she, she decried the 1619 Project in the New York Times being, you know, um, uh, over the top on, on, on racism. She um, uh, talked about the, the um, uh, killing in Charleston of, uh, in a black church. She didn't mention that she was the one who right. took the Confederate flag down from the South well, not uh, an, Carolina and, Capitol. Well,
8: in the video that she posted as yeah. well. That was really striking. That to does a strike lot me as us.
1: tough as nails.
8: You know, to my day job at the White House right now, what's striking to me is there's a lot of questions about Joe Biden in this as we talk about 2024 right now. I was in North Carolina a few weeks ago. Even Democrats who love What the party has done, they love what Joe Biden has done. Every one of them brought up his age unsolicited. The concern about his age right now, he checked off a couple key boxes in recent weeks. He had a good physical. His doctor Mm -hmm. says he's vigorous and healthy at the State of the Union. Democrats say he performed Well, as well. But two thirds to our recent poll, two thirds of Americans have said they have reservations or are very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. with him running again right now. We are told by those close to the president that it's likely that he would follow the Obama model in terms of an announcement. Obama waited 13 months after the announcement to start campaigning. That would, you know, he has the benefits of incumbency. He could make an announcement in in
0: April and wait until next year to get on the trail. Um, Now, the strangest thing about the Democratic side (laughs) is that the rank and file voters clearly would like to see some other candidates. But they... Democrat, the Washington knew. No. Like, I mean, the Democratic elite is like quashing it. It's well, fascinating. This, this
9: is the gap, right, between what we're seeing among the electorate mm. and where the candidates are showing up. I think the Republican field will shake itself out. But yes, you're right. Even among Democratic voters, they have reservations about supporting Mr. Biden for an, mm-hmm. another campaign. But this generational issue is one we're going to see again and again. We heard mm. it from Nikki Haley. We heard it from Tim, Tim Scott. We heard it from Governor Huckabee Sanders, also, in yeah. her response to the State of the Union address. These are Republicans saying. Let's move on. New generation of leadership. Oh. We'll see.
0: It, it is sitting there for them, uh, the turn-the-page argument. It worked for Barack Obama. We'll see if it works for one of these Republicans. Before we go, on this week's Chuck podcast, guess what we talked about? Nikki Haley's campaign launch. Spoke with. I also, though, spoke with a weather balloon manufacturer. Where do you find out how much stuff's in the air all the time? And after the broadcast, we're going to get more from Tom Friedman. Subscribe to the Chuck podcast by scanning the QR code on your screen right now. We're going to NBCNews.com slash ChuckToddcast. That's all for today. Thanks for watching. We'll be back next week because if it's Sunday, it's Meet the Press.